0: Hey yo, hey yo! You listening, hey, yo. yo. listening to another episode of Hustle uh-huh. Hey yo to another episode of Hassle. Hey, Hassle.
1: Yo. hey yo to another episode of You listening to of
0: of hey yo, hey yo, you're listening to House of Nakko.
1: Welcome to another episode of House of Nako. I'm your host Nakko. And in this week's episode, we begin to scratch at the surface of trending topics on a local, national, and global scale. Although election 2020 is two years away, the corporatist media is in full swing with Operation Propaganda. Their current obsession is with Senator Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii and their latest smear campaign against her, paints the senator as a puppet of the Kremlin. We'll begin to unpack that hot mess. And in other news, the heartbeat bill is on a roll and more and more states adopt this draconian bill that even has one of the most conservative voices from the evangelical right to admit that the bill has gone too far. Why the obsession over this bill? What is the deal with taking away access to safe medical care for women? We'll unpack that hot mess too. And in pop culture news. Netflix has a slew of new releases and one of them is called Always Be My Maybe. It's a new rom-com that had me at hello and it's intermixed with that gooey lovey-dovey stuff sprinkled with a dash of corniness, which is the exact recipe for a great rom-com. Don't worry, there are no spoilers included. So let's get into it. I'm
0: so nice.
1: In the political sphere, Representative Tulsi Gabbard is once again a media fixation for the corporate news media machine. When Representative Gabbard is featured in any type of mainstream media news outlet via CNN, Fox News, whether the Washington Post does a story about her. It's not to highlight the points that she has defined as what would mark her presidency, which basically puts people over profit. They're not going to highlight her achievements and the fact that she's a veteran and that she's made all these milestones and broken all of these barriers. And You know, there aren't news stories that are done to highlight her as a strong candidate. These are news stories to bring suspicion and doubt to her as a candidate and to write out, just slander her with information that is false or information that is so exaggerated that anybody who took the time to understand the real story for just a few minutes would understand that this doesn't make any sense but a lot of people read headlines for clickbait and most a lot of these headlines are really misleading or just outright lies. And she once again is taking a hit for that uh, with the latest round of fake news as uh, Tulsi called it herself. And then for even calling what inherently there is no other way to describe the news media cycle about her being any sort of Russian apologist or that her campaign is being funded by Russian Putin sympathizers and agents of the Kremlin. And so, you know, insert you know dark music dun, dun, dun. you should be afraid of Tulsi Gabbard and think she's you know on the same level as someone like Julian Assange trying to and on the same level that Russiagate was trying to paint Donald Trump as someone who was an outright obstruction of justice uh breaker and Someone who's committing treason to uh, what the United States has done in many other elections. But anyway, that's for another topic or an extension of our first show when we talked about Russiagate. And speaking of extensions, this seems to be an extension of Russiagate. They can no longer try to extend that story. The whole idea of impeachment is something that is not a reality So to twist and bend that story, it's been beaten as the saying goes to death. You've beaten the horse to death. There's really no way to restructure this anymore. So let's repurpose the uh, whole Russian apologist or Russian spy, Russian connections and put that on Tulsi Gabbard and the reason why she is being represented like that in mainstream media news outlets is because I'm sure she was expected to not really make that much noise and be not a candidate that would threaten the status quo but that has not been the case. Tulsi Gabbard has been hitting what people want to hear. She's been speaking about issues in this country that affect different pockets and different kinds of people across socioeconomic, across racial, across sexual orientation lines. These are things that are affecting everyday Americans who would check the box if they had to as middle class, lower middle class. I mean these class uh, structures are ridiculous anyway and based on you know BS, but I'm saying based on that system that is there, these are the, and these are the people that get hit the most with taxes, And support and bailing out banks and bailing out the the rich and the wealthy. And Tulsi Gabbard is actually speaking to those individuals, speaking to those problems, and talking about things that she would make prevalent in a Gabbard presidential experience. And she's saying some things and has made the cut to be a part of the Democratic debates. Which should be very interesting to have her voice thrown in there. It just is a circus. I believe there is now twenty five, twenty six candidates. It will be a very interesting time. But definitely will be poignant to have a voice like Tul- Tulsi Gabbard among the candidates to be heard. So she definitely is a force to be reckoned with, which is why she is being smeared in the mainstream media. But it's good and it's bad when they say that bad press actually turns out to be good press because what... I am hopeful for that even though the strategy of the mainstream media is to try to smear her, and with some people it will work, but there will be those individuals who will want to say, well let me just look up, let me go on her website and see how she describes herself, or let me do a search, a web search to hear her speak. And that might enlighten some people who still have the ability to think for themselves. To come to their own assertions and make your own decisions after you hear where she's coming from. Where it's something that she's constructed rather than an article about her from a mainstream media outlet. And as I stated before, Chelsea said very boldly in an interview not too long ago on ABC with George Stephanopoulos (laughs) and uh, she says straight out that when he asked about this Russia (laughs) gate and getting donations from people who are Putin lovers and she responded very boldly as such.
0: It's a whole lot of fake news. Uh, What I am focused on is what is in the best interest of the American people. What is in the best interest of our national security? Keeping the American people safe.
1: So that, she said it right there. Like, let's not even entertain whatever you're about to delve into because this is what I'm focused on. And this is fake news. And even the mainstream media tried to use her usage of fake news against her and saying okay if they can't pin her as some putin uh a spy that will say that she's a lover of trump because she's using a trump phrase and trump did not invent the phrase fake news i'm not sure who did but it definitely wasn't donald trump and although he uses it quite frankly what else did you want her to categorize it as this is falsified information like this is a lie like i it's it's fake it's and fake news news. maybe because of donald trump is a term that we are now very familiar with but her using that phrase has nothing to do with her allegiance to trump or says anything like that and it's ridiculous to assert otherwise and what's also ridiculous is for senator gabbard to be yet again accused of being an apologist of uh, uh it, leaders from around the world that are deemed to be not supportive of the u.s or deemed to be crazy or have some sort of you know uh, some sort of dark cloud of suspicion around them, i.e. Putin. And before Putin, it was Assad when Tulsi Gabbard went to go and actually to Syria to meet with Assad for herself because she wanted to make sure what the situation really was over in Syria before giving her vote to send troops over there. She wanted to see the story for herself. So for her to go and do that and meet with Assad automatically made her some type of buddy of, of Assad's and that she's working with him and that they're in cahoots or collusion or, you know, something when it truly was about her doing her job as a U.S. senator to the people chose her and placed her in that position to make sure that laws... And rules and regulations would benefit the people of her state, her district, or whoever she was elected to serve to the best of her ability. So going to do that is taking the extra mile. Many senators don't do that and travel abroad for reasons like this to serve the people. If they're traveling abroad, it's for their own selfish sort of personal reasons, And so for the mainstream media to say that the contributions of three people for a thousand dollars each, one of them, a United States citizen who has, who is a decorated professor at Columbia, yes, of Russian studies, and is called a a Putin apologist, gave a thousand dollars, a woman named Sharon Tennyson, who uh this uh donated five times and the sum that she donated has not been revealed and then the third giver was quote unquote goofy grapes did not give a real name his alias or her alias is goofy grapes and gave a thousand dollars it is uh believed that goofy grapes is a former employee of rt russian tv shout out to them what's up but yes, yeah, so because of three contributions from individuals, that even though we don't know the sum of one of them, like we're talking about not pennies like yes that's a significant amount but we're not talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands if you looked at her whole campaign it was you know 75 percent funded by you know some group from Russia then he'd be like okay let's raise some suspect let's ask some serious questions but three separate donations like this is nothing to cause any type of suspicion about, let alone call someone a agent of the Kremlin because of these three donations. This definitely is coming from another place to try and vilify uh, Tulsi Gabbard or make her seem as suspicious and un-American as possible, and I am not the only one who agrees with uh, that assertion. The RT did, in, did an interview with a uh, Democratic politician who ran for a, I believe, a council position, and uh, she had some of the same sentiments because anyone as i stated before who has common sense and takes some time to look at this not from the perspective or the gaze or view of mainstream corporate media you'll come to this assertion as well
0: Think they're credible allegations at all um, uh, you know I guess I think this whole thing about Russia is so completely overblown what the media is doing is making it uh, that she's an essentially an agent of the Kremlin which is so ridiculous so I think what she needs to do is essentially tell the world that listen three people with um, you know minimal ties to Russia not even ties to Russia just a, just an independent opinion uh, had given to my c- campaign out of sixty five thousand donors. So you know you can't really make an argument that um, you know that my my candidacy is uh, supported by Russian propaganda machine. You know, it's silly, and I think if she keeps on uh, kind of promoting that message, people will be able to see uh, what's really going on.
1: Totally agreed. And this woman's name is or the former, council, New York City council person Marnie Hassala, I believe and she was on point I mean there's really nothing more else to say about that we've gotta keep ourselves open and aware and take the opportunity when those debates come around to listen to everyone and listen to what they're saying truly just listen to what they're saying and then do your own work to go online and see if what they're saying if anything in their background can back up what they're saying if they're like oh medicare for all look and see type in who says that joe biden medicare for all and look at his career in politics and look to see what he's done what achievements are listed that support what he's saying on that stage and if you can't find anything then you know that he's just blowing hot air and saying the talking points that they know that the American people need and want to hear but people have got to back it up with what have they done at this point point? and I believe Tulsi Gabbard is one of those candidates that puts her money where her mouth is this woman went to Iraq twice, okay? She's not a joke or a game. And we need someone who's not playing around and someone who has a heart for people over profit in charge and leading the helm in this country.
0: Hey yo, hey yo, you're listening to a
1: hansom knockout.
0: Heartbeat Protection Act of 2017. This bill amends the Federal Criminal Code to make it a crime for a physician to knowingly perform an abortion, one, without determining whether the fetus has a detectable heartbeat, two, without informing the mother of the results, or, three, after determining that a fetus has a detectable heartbeat. It provides an exception for an abortion that is necessary to save the life of the mother whose life is endangered by a physical but not psychological or emotional disorder, illness, or condition. A physician who performs a prohibited abortion is subject to criminal penalties of fine up to five years in prison, or both. A woman who undergoes a prohibited abortion may not be prosecuted for violating or conspiring to violate the provisions of this bill.
1: You've just listened to a summary of... The H.R. 90 bill, which is in its full name, the Heartbeat Protection Act of 2017. There are many states that have already passed this bill and it is definitely a major topic in both corporate sponsored media and independent news because this bill is seen as a prelude to the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade, which would make abortion illegal in all 50 states in the United States. A draconian move, a draconian law, this bill, this heartbeat bill is. That's not just my opinion. There have been many politicians, people, activists in the community, even the infamous Pat Robertson, who is the head of the Christian Broadcast Network, I believe, who has been a strong opponent of abortion and has taken a very public stance against it in the past and has it's been on record. Has recently after Alabama passed, their version of the Heartbeat Bill went on record to say that Alabama has gone too far. And that's a direct quote from Pat Robertson on the 700 Club. So he made a declaration on television. And he said it's an ex- extreme law that they want to challenge. I'm sorry, it's an extreme law and they want to challenge Roe v.ersus Wade. But my humble view is that This is not the case we want to bring the Supreme Court because I think this one will lose, he said, end quote. And it's not like Pat Robertson is the end all be all, but I do think it's very poignant for someone who has been very vocal about their pro-life views and is seen as a leader in the evangelical world for him to come out with a statement like that really says a lot even though as i said his word is not law he's not god however it is really something to think about something else to think about is why is this bill even such a big deal why is there this push to want to take away abortion rights from women in the state and many are championing to make it illegal in all 50 states like why is this such a passionate concern and when i say passionate there are people who are making this their life mission on either side whether they're pro-life or pro choice but since these rights are being uh taken away from women my question is why my first question was well for the proposers of this bill there has to be some evidence out there that shows that there's a disproportionate amount of abortions being performed in this country and it's starting to hurt the birth rate and we as a species will become extinct because there's so many abortions like something um, of that mag- magnitude and it's interesting the first point of my research came to the fact that abortion statistics are really something that can be skewed either way to what or what side of the aisle that you stand on, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. And I'm saying that because the information on abortions performed in medical clinics for some reason is not mandatory by any state entity or the CDC which collects information like this. So it's all based on voluntary information. So right then and there, it can give an opportunity for either side to skew the facts in their favor. And that's exactly what I saw. I saw extremely high numbers from organizations and websites that were clearly pro-life. And I saw numbers that were way lower that countered that for the websites that were pro-choice. So again, it's almost like you have to make up your own mind and, and come to your own conclusions. But my first question was where is this really coming from despite the fact of wanting to control and have control over what women do with their bodies besides that argument which is a huge argument but like what what's really behind this so after my research came to the conclusion that the numbers really can be skewed either way my next question or the next thing that came up was that the only disproportionate numbers that were written about about abortions performed in the U.S. were about black women first and hispanic women second and that those numbers were high and much higher than white women almost twice When you're talking about black women and that was a really hard number to swallow of course there are socioeconomic reasons for that but it's still such a huge disparity that i'm like okay so then knowing that information and then going back to what this bill states i don't believe that there is a correlation between the government wanting to save and protect brown and black lives. There's just not a precedent for it. And it's not something that has been consistent in the relationship with the government in these specific communities. So because there is no history of that, I can't believe that this bill is being written because they see this, know about this disproportionate number and they're trying to stop that. I believe it has to be about something else and the fact that getting rid of safe legal abortion will primarily only affect poor women and especially brown and black women and if we go back to history before Roe v.ersus Wade when it was illegal and only safe for people that could afford it because it would it was illegal so it was extremely expensive or you had the means to go to Canada or go to France or go some to another country where it is legal but back in those days when it was not or back in those days back before Roe versus Wade when it was not... Uh, legal, it was not safe for women that couldn't afford the safe, private luxuries. They still were getting abortions but they were doing them either by themselves or coming up with ridiculous means and women were getting hurt and dying. There's several cases even landmark cases that were precedents or preludes to Roe versus Wade about women dying in horrible circumstances because not having this safe and legal access choice to do if that were to be something that you had to go through that you would do it and that and that will decision will be between you and your maker and then that's it for us to be so I really like this one particular letter that 150 Tennessee faith leaders, many of them Christian, they sent a letter to the governor of Tennessee, Governor B. Lee, urging him to oppose the heartbeat legislation. And just parts of their letter were so moving and I believe should be the anthem of how each side should look at this issue there's a part of their letter that reads because we trust pregnant people we know that these decisions are informed by tremendous reflection and not taken lightly when a person decides that abortion is their best option they need community support not obstacles preventing safe access to medical care while there are varied Opinions on abortion based on religious belief. As persons with deep faith commitments, we affirm a person's right to decide when to become a parent or expand their family. They wrote, As people of faith and as Tennesseans, we believe in loving our neighbors and treating one as we would like to be treated with compassion, dignity, and with respect. Those Tennesseans got it right. I truly believe that whatever side of the aisle that you fall on on this issue, we've got to not judge one another and know when to understand when a belief is personal and that we don't need to project our beliefs on others and that we need to be there for our citizens, our community, and especially when medical care is on the table. To be continued, this is a topic. In next week's episode, we're going to talk about eugenics and the Washington Post article with uh, some sentiments that uh, Supreme Justice... Clarence Thomas recently spoke out about uh, abortion and bringing up eugenics and Margaret Sanger, who's the founder of Planned Parenthood. So we're definitely going to be expanding upon this topic and talking about it some more and getting some people on each side to come in and weigh, weigh in on the conversation. But pretty much from a standpoint. Of a House of Nako standpoint, I stand with these Tennessee in-faith leaders. They have it right. And I believe that that approach, as if you are a follower of the show, you know that that's the approach we take here, is to do unto others and to come from a place of love. Not Always Be My Maybe is a new release from Netflix and a, a romantic comedy that's directed by Nanatchka Khan and starring Ali Wong and Randall Park. According to an article on Deadline in 2017, they coined the film as two childhood friends who find themselves in vastly different socioeconomic situations when they fall in love as adults, end quote. And this film, released in select theaters on May 29th, just a few days ago and then on Netflix May 31st and there are no major spoilers so don't get scared but I will share a few thoughts about this movie. The reason why I wanted to give it a no spoilers review is because I thought it was excellent. I am a huge fan of romantic comedies not the traditional stereotypical American ones, a lot of those top 10 lists. I'm not feeling a lot of films on those top 10 lists, but I have different ones. Like everybody who's a fan of that genre, you like different films and different films speak to you for different reasons. But this film spoke to me because a it grabbed my attention for the whole entire time and usually B, I love this film because of the representation, the fact that the cast was about 90% Asian was right then and there I was interested in it because it's a racial group that obviously exists in our United States here and also all over the world but we don't see asian americans or asian culture being first and foremost in any sort of entertainment visualization whether we're talking about tv movies film etc into 2018 with crazy rich asians or did that come out in 2017 anyway recently there has been a uh, uh, surge of representation for Asian Americans and I believe that always be my maybe is a part of that and that we'll be seeing more of that especially when the reception is positive which so far it just came out but what I've read and seen it's been positive there are a couple reviews I just wanted to scroll and read 17 hours ago and Angela and Chetta said it was a bit cliche But it was really amazing. There were many funny scenes in the movie that were very entertaining for me The Keanu Reeves cameo got to me overall the movie was funny and charming I really enjoyed the actors performances, especially Randall's love that guy the Asian representation in here was great, but I feel like it was a bit forced just a little, like every scene was filled with 90% Asians. Wish it could have been more Hispanic, but of course, I do, seeing as I'm a Hispanic, like seeing Hispanic because I'm a Hispanic myself. And there were definitely parts of that that I agreed with. Uh, next review, a Roy Cavill wrote two days ago that I felt the movie was a bit slow at the start. But it did eventually get its groove with some really, really funny scenes, particularly the one involving Keanu, which makes me wonder how the hell they were able to get him to star in this small movie after the enormous success of John Wick series. Vivian Bang stole every scene she was in, and I didn't know Randall Park was such a good rapper. Anyway, a pretty solid uh feel-good rom-com, highly recommended. I completely agree that snap snaps to you, Roy. And, I mean, I'm not going to read all of these reviews. That could be a separate um, entity. But, pretty much, it was a, a... A lot of Asians were obviously giving thumbs up, but there were people... They have their pictures here, too. And of every race and nationality and creed who said that they loved this movie and that it was a great rom-com feel-good movie and everyone was feeling Keanu and especially for myself that I was unaware he was in the movie because I did not watch the trailer in full because I was go from like the first couple seconds I was like okay Randall Park love him Ali Wong love her just finished watching Tuca and Birdie and I loved Ali Wong and, um, Tiffany Haddish, who are the stars of that cartoon, and if you're into Adult Swim type, BoJack Horseman, and Bob's Burgers, that's a great, um, uh, series to watch on Netflix. But anyway, back to Always Be My Maybe, and yes, the Keanu Reeves, uh, cameo was on point, it was excellent, it was a great choice and someone in the comments asked, how could Keanu be a part of such a small film after he's basically this huge superstar? I wondered the same thing, but I found the answer in an interview with Ali Wong and Randall Park.
0: Speaking of a new friend, Keanu Reeves. Right? how did that come about? And um, what did he bring to the project? Well, we- You know, he serves as one of Sasha's love interests, and we wanted someone, uh, when when Marcus finally decides that he's gonna tell Sasha, you know, like, I I have feelings for you, we thought what would be Marcus's worst nightmare (laughs) (laughs) Who would be his, his, you know, the absolute worst person for Sasha to be dating? And we wanted to be like an Asian American icon who was funny and a great actor, and there's literally no one else besides Keanu, so he was always our first choice. Yeah. um and the script was sent to him and and we never thought
1: we'd get him it was thought like, we this, him. it was such a long <laughs> shot there was no way he's gonna say yes
0: to this we could know? even do like a movie about <laughs> getting, getting <him>. Keanu <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just call yeah. it getting Keanu yeah um yeah and then you know we got sent the script and uh he he had watched my special Baby Cobra.
1: He was quoting lines from her special, so yeah.
0: And then when, and then he read the script and he said yes. He, He, I think he literally wrote, "I would love to be. It would be an. I would be honored to be part of your love story."
1: Oh, I'd be honored to be a part of your love story. Oh, so beautiful. So his role in it. Don't want to give too much. Is refreshing. And even if you know he's gonna be in it, it still is surprising if you saw the trailer beforehand or listened to this podcast. So definitely check it out. If you're a rom-com type of person, you love that gushy feeling inside, and yeah, you're looking for a new movie to get down with on streaming, definitely recommend this flick. And I kudos to Netflix, kudos to Nanachka Khan, the director, kudos to all the actors, big ups, and big ups to Netflix for green lighting this and looking forward for the green light for more projects that represent more. Representation matters.) <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of House of Nako. And a very special thanks to 1515 Studios. And today we're closing out the show. And we're going to close out every show by implanting seeds of love. Because that's what it's all about. We need love,
0: love, love, love. Love, love You're listening to House of Nine.